The book of Proverbs tells us that it is the Lord who gives wisdom. In the New Testament, Paul tells the Ephesians to be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Because we live in a rapidly changing culture that offers all kinds of options, we need wisdom. We know that parents and youth workers need to equip students to live wise lives. We'll be talking to our friend Duffy Robbins about helping kids make straight choices in a crooked world on this edition of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Hey everybody, this is Walt Mueller at the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, and welcome to this episode of Youth Culture Matters. This has been fun doing this, and we know lots of folks are listening. We've been looking at the numbers. We're glad you've been tuning in, and I'm always happy to be here to, to chat with Jason Soshenik, who is live in Spokane, Washington. Right, Jason? You're on, out That's there on right. the West Coast. Yeah, I, and, yeah, uh, it's good to be here again, Walt. Yeah, and Jason I, I runs, enjoy doing these with you. Jason runs Project 619. Try not to interrupt me. Uh, Jason <laughs> runs Project 619, which uh, tell everybody what that is. Yeah, because I want people to know about that, Jason. We value yeah. He's on associate staff with us, but we love what he's doing out there in Spokane. Yeah, the easiest way to say uh, what we're up to is we're a sexual integrity ministry. So we're, we're here on the West Coast, but we do uh, ministry throughout the, the country. Um, just speaking on sex, sexuality, and relationship, cr- speaking Christian sexual ethic uh, in a way that just often isn't done. And, and we, we really like to be able to, to work with families, schools, churches, uh, and, and provide opportunities for conversation around some of the most difficult topics. So uh, uh, sex, sexuality, as you can guess, many uh, individuals are wanting these conversations to take place. Uh, more and more people are writing about uh, this topic. In fact, you just recently blogged on this very thing. And so we're, we're, we're feeling like uh, we're just in the right place at the right time to be having the conversations that are most needed, and specifically a conversation that needs consistency. So that's, that's a lot of what we've been up to with Project 619 is just providing that consistency when it comes to a Christian sexual ethic. Yeah, yeah, and it's important. We're all sexual beings made that way. We, we always say sexuality is a wonderful gift from God. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. And we don't we don't talk about it enough, I think, in the church, or at least we haven't. And that's part of what we're trying to do is talk about it more. And the culture is talking about it 24-7. So this is why we're glad that we're in partnership with Jason and we've worked together on our sexual integrity initiative. So I'm, I'm excited right. about that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, good. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and if people have questions about what we're up to, they can always check out the first podcast. Uh, you and I had a great conversation on, on the Christian sexual ethic and uh, those non negotiables. Yep. Yeah. Good. So. Good. Well, and uh, as always, hey, and before we get into talking about uh, some youth culture issues here and then we talk a bit with Duffy, um, the, the guys, Kenton, Kenton and Chris, who 
produce here have uh, decided that they always want to ask us a question in the beginning and put us on the spot and see maybe if they can even prompt some discussion between us about our generational differences. That'd so, be great. Yeah, it makes me nervous, and they sit over there with these smirks on their faces, as they're doing now. But do you guys have uh, anything today? Have you come up with anything? Oh, uh, Ken's we, taking the mic. This is We have. Dangerous. So our question for you is, what is the worst invention of modern time? The worst, worst invention, invention of modern yeah, time. Of modern times. I, I have pretty strong opinions on this because you do. My modern times are back. My modern times are backed up <laughs> by prehistoric times and all the years that I've spent. So I've seen things. It doesn't surprise me. That I've you seen have improvements, and I've seen that I have what. It doesn't surprise me that you 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 went very quickly to a firm opinion on oh, yeah. whatever the invention was. Oh yeah. So please yeah, share. Yeah, yeah. Do you have one? Do you have anything, or do you need I'm some thinking time to right think? Now. Okay, I'm right, actually, right. I'm, I'm, I have two. So I have two. Uh, you so, have two. Yeah. Now wow. you tell me what you think about these, and I complain about okay. these all the time. My wife hears okay. about it. The first one is no iron shirts. I you know why can't you buy a decent cotton shirt that just feels comfortable? without the stiffness and the scratchiness. And I think that it's not a very nice appearance of the no and iron shirt. And I think shirt. you still have but to you... actually iron those shirts. Well, after I, a while, I... <laughs> you do. But, I mean, I, I, I do have a couple. Lisa's bought a couple of, uh, you know, good brands that they're okay. But for yeah. generally speaking, you know, I, I mean, and you can just look at a shirt on the rack and say that's a no iron shirt and I'm not going there. So I don't like that. I don't like that. Do you do you, do you just miss the opportunity to iron your shirts? No, it has nothing to do with ironing. It's a purely comfort. Oh, okay, comfort. Yeah, okay. yeah. I want to be okay. comfortable yeah. all the time, and and yeah. you know, a no iron shirt. I just I think it, and I see them on guys. I mean, if you really want to be comfortable, to you could just just walk around in your underwear. I mean, well, that, that, that yeah, but that then actually. you might get arrested. <laughs> but I'm just. You know, if we're talking no, about comfort. Need a shirt. Need we're, a shirt. We're we might have to go all the way back to everybody the else's. Clothes. Yeah, we've been, we need to change the topic now and go to something a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit cleaner. So here's my second. Yeah, yeah, your second. So let's move to something cleaner. This is my second bad invention, and it's the men who are going to understand this. So, <laughs> waterless urinals. Oh. I just think, and and I'm just going to tell you, I live in Pennsylvania. And the Pennsylvania Turnpike, our rest stops, this is what they put in. We have wonderful rest stops on the Turnpike. And yeah, you do. I mean, they're, they're wonderful rest stops, but that is that has diminished. You, you say that like you visit them often. Oh, I, <laughs> I often wonder how many miles over the course of my lifetime I've driven or ridden on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. I mean, it is, uh, yeah. it is tens of thousands. Well over yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable yeah. the amount of time we've spent on there going back and forth. Uh, Lisa's from, you know, the other side of the state, and so there's lots of trips back and forth there. I went to college there. But I just think, yeah, it, to me, it's just not a great invention. I won't say anything more about it, but the, the cleanliness factor. and I, I was just on the turnpike this past weekend, and my son asked, hey, where, where, after he went to the bathroom, where? how do I flush this thing? Yeah. And I basically said, well, the moron who decided to invent this thing decided that not having water was a good idea. Yeah, yeah. So we're. So I'm with you on that one. <laughs> right. So the waterless urinal. Jason, what you know, do you got? Yeah, I'm still trying to think. I will say this: one of my favorite inventions. I'm I'm kind of flipping it a little bit, but but you're you're talking about the waterless urinal. Well, in the in the same 
room, in the bathroom, uh, when I go to rest stops, one of my favorite things are the uh, hand dryers that you actually just dip your hands in, but you don't touch anything. And oh, just, the Dyson. The Dyson. Man, yeah. those things are dope. I mean, it's it's one of life's small pleasures. I just yeah. have to say that I absolutely enjoy I absolutely enjoy washing my hands because I don't have to touch anything. I wash my hands uh, and yeah. Well, you know and the then I, uh, I walk out. <laughs> it, well, you, you, all right. Yeah. So I'm confused because bef- before yeah. they invented that, there were dryers on the walls where you didn't have to touch yeah, anything. But those those things take like two minutes to dry your hands, and I still walk out with my hands wet. Okay. The Dyson, it takes honestly ten seconds. Do you notice when you use the Dyson what that airflow does to your skin? I mean, do you see it like? <laughs> no, I don't know. Well, I want you to look at that. My skin. What does it do to your skin? Well, I just think it. It just. It's like. It's like when you. It's like if you would stand in front of a leaf blower Sorry? with your mouth open, you know, and it would just everything just gets. You know what well, I mean. Is, is this is this a generational thing? I, mean, no, I don't this, know. It's one... just I notice because I, yeah, my, I just. My I mean, it's pretty high powered. <laughs> I agree, Dyson, and Dyson has invented some great things. We have a Dyson vacuum, but see these things now. This is interesting because these inventions. Yeah. This all... episode brought to you by Dyson. Yeah, yeah. These have <laughs> these, <laughs> these these don't include a link to their uh, homepage on this, but these these this is interesting when we talk about culture. Because you have to think about where all these inventions came from. Obviously, money-making, but when you think about saving time, saving the environment, the busyness that we have, all of that, that um, you know, that plays into this. So you know, a lot yeah, of these right. inventions come from that. Well, good. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys keep thinking about your question for the next time. I'm not sure how you can top that but or, or some of these answers. Well, let's talk, uh, let's talk a little bit about what's happening in uh, youth culture. This is what we call our two-minute drill. So the guys are on the bell, and Jason and I have to talk rather quickly here uh, about these, these stories or these trends that we've uncovered. So uh, let me start with one here, Jason. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Amy, Amy Dickinson, who is an advice columnist. Now, she writes a syndicated column that's carried in loads of papers called Ask Amy. And there was a question that was asked of her this last week that really, it it caught my attention because, again, this is about a trend in parenting and that the the top of the the column, it has this question on. It says, is it okay for parents to co-sleep with adolescent children? And the letter goes very short. Dear Amy, is it appropriate for parents to sleep in their 13-year-old's bed alongside that child for the entire night? This child just entered puberty, and I feel this is wrong. What do you think? And, I, you know, I don't bring this up as a joke because this is happening more and more, and we've noticed with many younger parents, there's a lot of concern about how do I get my kid to sleep through the night. There's a lot of parents who will very quickly take a child out of their bed, put them in their bed, maybe not even put them in their own bed or crib initially. And certainly for younger children, and and I actually have become familiar with a concept, which I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but the family bed, where it's actually a parenting strategy where the family sleeps together for a certain amount of time or duration of time. Yeah. And I'm not talking about time during the night, but it's it's sleeping together for months or years or whatever, and then having to move into what's called sleep training, 
Well, what's interesting about this, and I, I like her answer. I won't read the whole answer, but it, she basically says it's not appropriate for parents to co-sleep with adolescent children. She talks about kids needing, adolescents needing uh, some privacy, needing their space, uh, the, the space to develop, uh, de- developmentally figuring out who they are and what they're about. Um, and, Which is adolescence. Right. But, but here's, and she brings up some other things as well. But, but this is really interesting because it, I think it indicates what's really happening here is, and it's that, it's that many parents are sleeping with their children to meet the parents' needs rather mm. than meeting the needs of the child. And, and when yeah. you think this is, about this is, relational brokenness, that's, that's key. Well, this is something that's so interesting. I've, I've never heard of this, Well, I mean, I, I've heard of family beds. I've heard some of those. But I've never heard of co-sleeping with an adolescent. Uh, co-sleeping with someone that's a, that's a teenager. So, uh, I, I appreciated that uh, Miss uh, Amy or Ask Amy got straight to the point, and, yeah. and that's exactly what she did there, and, and what you were talking about. Yeah, well, and the concerns about. Is, I was just going to say too, concerns about um, related to sexuality and sexual development as well. So most definitely, yeah. There's a lot of concerns in that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I think that you did. Uh, you hit on some of those, but I think that overall, it, it's just. Developmentally, it just has a huge uh, impact. Well, the the next uh, article that we have is uh, talking about millennials, and uh, many have talked about uh, what millennials, what define millennials. We've even talked about it here on the show, but uh, what we each generation have is a title that's attached to it. A few generations ago, the one I I believe right before yours was labeled as the greatest generation. Mine, uh, which I get lumped into, Generation X, was known as a slacker generation, but Millennials are becoming uh, more known as or turning out to be the anxious generation. Uh, and what studies are actually finding is that millennials suffer from anxiety at a much higher rate than the generations that preceded them. In fact, the, the article itself says uh, they're, they're the first generation raised with the Internet. They're the first generation to experience helicopter parenting, which uh, you and I have both spoken about often. Uh, and they're at once constantly exposed on social media but also permanently sheltered by overbearing parents goes back to what we were just talking about. They're not the first generation to experience a rough economy, but and this is this is key. They certainly act as if they are. So so there's a lot that's happening within this generation. There's a lot that's happening in the news. I'm just even following the political landscape, and I, I just keep asking, how is this influencing millennials? How is this influencing the generation that's that's behind them? There there is. Um, a lot that is happening that's impacting the way that they respond and and react to to the world around them. Yeah. Um. And and uh, uh Twinge, uh, Jean Twinge, um, who you and I are both familiar with, we've we've looked at a lot of her work. Um. Actually, came right alongside and and offered a, an explanation. And and she said, um, that the change in upheaval young people have today, um, like uh, marriages happening later, the family structure changing, is having a, a tremendous impact. Um. And she said the real change that comes from the anxiety is freedom of movement that has made it easy for people to leave families far behind. And that um, limited family access or proximity can lead to anxiety and depression. Uh, I don't know if what it was like for you, but I, I, I remember moving away, um, but I remember knowing how to build community. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things that I noticed, and, and even a lot of initiatives, uh, say at Fuller and uh, and others around the country that are looking at what's happening to the faith of adolescents as they step into uh, adulthood, 
is this aspect of not knowing how to build community. So right. this makes a lot of sense. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, just real quick, you know, as I hear you talk about this, there's two things. One is that life has gotten very hurried with the rate of change, you know. So we talked about yes. new inventions humorously, hopefully, but it's a serious thing. And and I think that that kids are buckling under the pressure of the, the rate of change. And so we're not carving out times and spaces for rest. We need to incorporate Sabbath into our yes. lives, and God made us for that rhythm of work and rest. So I think there's the rate of change and the speed of life. And then also, I think it's just the breakdown of the family. And I think she hits on that fairly well because, you know, from a Christian perspective, we understand that we've been made for relationship, to live in families, to be nurtured in families. And when God's order is undermined and our families fall apart, naturally there's going to be issues. You talked about being a Gen Xer or the slacker generation. The, the name that I think of for that generation is the, the baby busters, inheriting a busted-up world at the level of relationships and primarily family. Well, let me give you one here that um, th this is kind of a no-brainer, I think, but there's some research that's come out. Uh, it, I think it confirms what we all know. This is from uh, Chapman University in California. David Frederick, a researcher, has come out with some research where they've concluded that body satisfaction is related to so many aspects of people's lives. People who feel worse about their bodies are more likely to engage in obsessive exercise behavior, crash dieting, and protein supplement abuse. Now, we've talked about this before with kids and athletic performance. Uh, at times, we talk about disordered eating and, and how those things are at epidemic proportions and, and really gone viral through our culture and how marketing has played into this. But I think we just need to take note of this. Now, one interesting aspect of this was that they polled, uh, one, one researcher polled students at UCLA, found that 79% of white women report high evaluations of their looks compared with 56% of Asian Americans. And meanwhile, 12% of white women, but 24% of Asian Americans offer low evalu evaluations of their appearance. Appearance. So they're talking about the cultural difference between the Asian culture and the, um, the, the American culture. And one of the conclusions is that perhaps Asian women feel less attractive because they are being hit with uh, two cultures of media. And it would be both the Asian culture and the American culture. So uh, just something to think about and, and talk about our need to encourage our kids to develop their identities based on inward uh, qualities rather than their, their uh, image based on what they look like. Well, uh, the next article that we have is, is I think, incredibly important. Snapchat uh, in India, a group of counselors started a Snapchat account specifically to help those that, have, that are in abusive relationships, which I think is long overdue. I, you, you and I talk often about how do we use social media to, to glorify God? How, how do we interact um, with those that we're friends with or that we have followers uh, and, and speak uh, life, uh, true life, uh, not only uh, into the presence of social media, but also into the presence of the people that we're connecting with. And uh, Snapchat in uh, India, a group of counselors, actually started an account to work with those that find themselves in abusive relationships. And one of the reasons they chose Snapchat 
was because of uh, the length of which the messages uh, uh, show up. So you and I both know that that nothing uh, isn't just there for a few seconds. You can take a picture and it can last for forever. But uh, one of the things that these counselors were doing is that they wanted to provide a safe place for those that were in abusive relationships to be able to send pics or to have conversation uh, so that then it would disappear a few seconds later uh, and would not continue to stay on their phone. Now it's on the other person's phone where a lot of the issues come into play. But it's uh, issues like this where now people in the U.S. and in Great Britain have found this uh, Snapchat account and actually have started following it and, and engaging uh, in with the counselors. And the counselors have said, we want to be able to help those that are not just in India but around the world. Uh, and I just think it's a great model that can be uh, implemented here in the U.S. I'm surprised that there, there aren't individuals that work with adolescents uh, that haven't started accounts like this. Now, I know that it can be a, a lot of time to be able to do this. There are a lot of uh, hurting adolescents. Uh, so being able to make the time to, to be able to engage uh, what, what these youth are doing, I think it's a great thing for those that are practitioners of youth ministry because it's a, a resource for, for good and healthy conversation around really bad situations. Yeah, you know, and I get that. I get that. I think it's a noble effort and it meets a need, but I think that symptomatically when you peel back the layers of this, there's evidence there of other stuff going on that we need to address. And yes. so, for example, of course, number one, abuse is on the rise. And we need to address that. You know, where does that come from? How do we get to this point? This, you know, we've talked about the campus rape culture before. It's not just college campuses. It's everywhere. The second thing that's troubling about this is why do I have to go to someone I can't see? Why do I have to go to a, a social media app to, to be counseled? You know, if I, and the, the reason is because maybe I don't feel the freedom to go to anybody else. I don't have a relationship with anyone else that I feel safe talking to. Or perhaps there's just nobody to go to. And that's alarming. You know, so I think youth workers and parents need to step up and realize that we need to build the bridges and establish the relationships that allow for good conversation to well, help we, our kids can, through these things. Can it, we just stay on this for a second? Because I, 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 I wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying. I, I, I just wonder, are, um, are are the teens, individuals that are in these relationships, prepared to have those conversations? Because uh, I can see this as a first step, not the ultimate yeah. step, which is, I yeah. think, what you're saying. And and I just want to make sure that we uh, we provide opportunities. I have so much more oh, yeah. conversation with a teen that's texting than I do in person. Uh, but what I found is when the conversation had started through texting, then then what happens is the next step after that text begins real conversation. Uh, that conversation usually doesn't take place right in, in, in person. As much as I would like it to, uh, it t- tends to happen through either texting or some sort of social media, which I, I think then you have to have boundaries and a lot of other things come into play. But but I do think that maybe this is the first step towards a lot of what you're um, yeah. actually talking about. Oh, yeah, I w- and I would agree with that. But I think we need to, to look at it and say, like you, I think you're saying this, it's not enough, and it's not the end-all cure-all. But it can be a start if there's follow-up. And there was one more thing I was going to say, and that is that I think we need to have education as well. Um, and this is in this is only in, this is only related to some abuse contexts, but about especially when it relates to social media and kids being cyberbullied or um, abused by predators, that sort of thing. We need to educate kids to not put themselves at risk because they live in a we live in a dangerous world. 
I don't want to go out and do you know what I'm saying? I don't want to I want to keep them from walking in the street if there's traffic in the street. And obviously the people who are driving need to be careful. But, you know, to use that metaphor, maybe it's not a good one. But, I, I, again, I think it points up issues that we need to deal with. Let me move on to another one here very quickly. And, you know, if we talk about social media, computers, technology, I don't know if you've ever read the column by Kim Commando. She's this tech guru who does these. And I love reading her column because you'll always learn great tech tips from her. And she is concerned as a parent about internet safety and safety with our smartphones and our kids being, you know, wise. I'll just mention this real quick. She did a column called Three Conversations about privacy and security to have with your teenager. And then she emphasizes today. And and I think it's important because of teen impulsivity, um, the regrets that result from that, you know, just spur the moment decisions that we make to post things or send things out or engage in conversations with certain people without thinking. I mean, and it's taken, I think social media, the problem is it's taken the regrets of childhood that we all have because of the decisions we made to a whole new level. Um, Social media has done that. So real quickly, here are three conversations. And I don't even think we need to talk about these. I'll just mention them. First one is talk to your kids about full disclosure on laptops, tablets, and cell phones. Uh, before you give your kid any device, you make sure they understand that as a parent, you have full access, you can check it at any time. Secondly, let your kids know that sharing isn't always caring. Uh, in other words, she's saying use discretion when sharing content online. You need to sit them down, let them know that once something is posted online, it's out, it's out there forever, that privacy settings are important, and that interacting online, especially with people you don't know, can be dangerous. Then the third thing, third conversation, is that you need to talk about passwords. Passwords are not a joke, and sharing them with others, in her words, is a dumb idea. And we know that many, many kids are sharing passwords to all kinds of accounts, and we need to be careful about that. So I don't even think we need to talk about that. That's just an informational thing there. What's the last uh, story you've got here, Yeah, Jason? the last one, you know, it, it's uh, we save one of the more difficult ones for the last, but but it's one that you and I, again, have multiple conversations around. Uh, And the American College of Pediatricians just released an in-depth report stating that the move to indoctrinate children uh, with the idea that they can pick their own gender amounts to child abuse, which- Now wait, uh, say say that again, say that again, because that's important. It is. Uh, The American College of Pediatricians, uh, those that are working with children, released an in-depth study, a report, that states the move to indoctrinate children with the idea that they can pick their own gender amounts to child abuse. That, that I think, um, has been something that uh, in many ways we've talked about, uh, but it's not been the politically correct thing to say. You know, That's these issues make it really difficult. Yeah. I know. And, and for them to be able to play this out as clearly as they have, in fact, one of the, some of the points that they made were this. One, human sexuality is an objective biological binary trait, XY, XX. Chromosomes are genetic markers, not a disorder. The second thing that they said is no one is born with a gender. Everyone is born with a biological sex. Gender is a psychological concept, not an objective biological one. Uh, and, and as I sit on, on, on boards and other communities, this is some of the conversation that is starting to t- take place, changing some of the definition. Uh, people who identify as feeling like the opposite sex or somewhere in between do not compromise a third sex. They remain biologically 
men or biologically women. Uh, and then one of the other points they said is this, 98% of gender-confused boys and 88% of gender-confused girls accept their biological sex after puberty without any counseling. And I think that that is incredibly important. I would be really curious what the study showed for those that did uh, identify themselves as the opposite uh, sex uh, afterwards, what, what counseling might look like. I don't know. The study, this article didn't state that. I'm going to look into it more. But this is really, really important for us to be aware of, especially as we're diving into, we were talking at the beginning of the show, uh, the Christian sexual ethic. This is a part of that conversation. As difficult as it might be and as um, uh, politically incorrect as it might be in our culture today, these conversations need to be taking place. Because I think that we all, um, as practitioners, as individuals that care for our community, care for the people that are in our community, need to be having conversations around. Mm, I, I agree. And this is, boy, this is just such a big topic of conversation in the culture and, and I really think we need to investigate how to best represent and, and understand a biblical approach to this, how a biblical world and life view speaks to this, and become a part of the conversation and uh, train our kids into an understanding here of, of uh, you know, biblical understanding of gender. It's a big, it's a big, big topic. So uh, I'm sure we're going to be talking about this down the road in another podcast. But this study, and we'll include a link to it and all the stories we've just mentioned, is one that parents and youth workers need to look at. So this is good. As always, we talk about these things because they're important. These are things that are happening in our culture. They're trends. They're results of research. And youth workers, parents, anybody who cares about and works with kids needs to be aware of this. Thanks, Jason, for sharing these things. When we come back, we're going to take a break right now. But when we come back, I'm going to have uh, a conversation with our good friend and associate staff person here at CPYU, Duffy Robbins, on wisdom and how to begin to instill a wisdom into, into our kids. Here at the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, we want to help you stay up to date on today's youth culture. One of the tools we've developed to keep you current is our weekly youth culture e-update. Delivered to you by email, our Youth Culture e-update comes to you in a format that allows you to easily scroll through and quickly choose those stories and resources that will be most helpful to you in your particular setting. To sign up for this free resource, go to our website at cpyu.org, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and enter your email address in the tab marked e-update sign up. It's that simple. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm Walt Mueller at the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, and I am really excited to be able to chat now with one of my best friends in the whole world, especially in the world of youth ministry, Duffy Robbins. Duffy, hey, it's great to have you here. Walt, thanks, man. Great to be with you, and thanks for calling me one of your best friends in the whole world and then qualifying that. Well, would you say the same thing about me? Yeah, okay. absolutely. All right, good. Yeah, I mean, we like Lisa more than we like you, but we I like know you that. a lot. I'm glad. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Duffy and I go back probably, I was trying to do the math on this about, I think about 31 years because I was a youth a youth pastor and I went to Philadelphia after I was at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, which we'll have to talk about that too, Duffy. Yeah, great um, place. So I go to Philadelphia and I get this invite uh, in the mail, by the way, because there was no, Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet, so we right. weren't, there was no email. 
Yeah. And tough. I get this invite or a phone call or something to this youth worker uh, network that was meeting at the Howard Johnson's in Glenside, Pennsylvania. I go over. I don't know anybody there. And I walk in and you come up to me. You were working the room. You come up to me and you say, hey, I'm Duffy Robbins. And you Would know, you buy my breakfast? Yeah. Will you buy my breakfast? Um, hey, I'm Duffy Robbins. And you asked me who I was and, oh, you just came here. Where'd you come from? You know, where were you before you got to, to Maple Glen? And I mentioned Gordon Conwell, and you just lit up because I just graduated from Gordon Conwell because that's where you went to school as well. You went to that's seminary right. there. And yeah. uh, instant connect, instant yeah. connect. And now it's like – and I remember going home saying to Lisa, I met Duffy Robbins. Do you know what she said? <laughs> that's exactly what she said. <laughs> Who is that? And, uh, <laughs> and so – and I said, Duffy yeah. Robbins is in this group. And then uh, we would bring youth workers to the youth specialties one day. I remember one time at Bryn Mawr Presbyterian Church, you led it. And after that, Lisa said, yeah, that guy, he's kind of funny. Um, she sort of liked you after that, and she's continued oh, to like you even more. So, <laughs> so we've got this history now of being able to work together and do things. And you are, uh, well, talk just a little bit. I, I think most people are familiar with you and what you do, but what are you doing now? Well, right now, uh, I am, in fact, this morning, I taught a class on adolescent culture at Eastern University in the Department of Youth Ministry. That's where I teach full-time. I've been there for 31 years, and uh, and uh, we have a BA in youth ministry, uh, and there are four other colleagues that serve with me here. Um, but I really enjoy teaching um, undergraduate youth ministry. I've been doing that. And uh, so that's that's kind of my full time job. And then, um, like you, I do some speaking and some writing that I think complements and sort of uh, uh, in, in some ways even uh, helps me to clarify my work here at the university. So I enjoy both the on campus dimension and the off campus dimension of the work. Most of the off campus speaking is to teenagers and uh, people who love teenagers. Mm. So parents, youth workers, um, I, um, yeah, you know, pretty much uh, along the same lines as you, which is one of the great uh, benefits is that we run into each other uh, all over the place and get to do ministry shoulder to shoulder. And we get to invest in youth workers uh, who are some of the greatest people on the planet. Um, and then, and then of course, Speaking of Gordon Conwell, one of the real delights is that we both uh, teach together as mentors in the uh, doctor ministry program for uh, ministry to emerging generations. So that's that's something we've been doing now for what about five or six years. Oh yeah, it's awesome. We love that, and uh, and and uh, I'd love to. See if, if any of your listeners are interested, uh, that'd be great. To, to, we'd love to have them go to the Gordon Conwell website, look up the doctor ministry program, look for your face. Uh, in the ministry to emerging generations, and uh, and then page over to my own face, and perhaps uh, ask for more information. But yeah, that that's that's what I do, and um, and I still enjoy that a lot. Yeah, and and one of the great things up there is we've made a third, we've made another friend, who's yeah. Adonis Adonis Vidu, and that's really his name, Adonis. And yeah. Adonis is, is Adonis 40? I guess he's about 40 now. Yeah. yeah and he's Romanian, and he's a theologian, and he is, uh, 
absolutely brilliant and absolutely hysterical and fun. And so the, our classroom experience is really, it's like no other. I mean, I always, I tell Lisa that when we're getting ready for those cohorts, it's, I feel like a kid getting ready for Christmas, just that, you know, traveling up there, there's just this great sense of expectation and we, we have a lot of fun. So. Yeah. What I love about those, uh, the, the demon program is that you have youth workers who have been in the game for a while and uh, and they've they've started to ask and think about and reflect on deeper questions and deeper issues. They still have very much a, a practical agenda. I mean, they're they're in the field and they have to they have to be able to translate their the thinking uh, into the doing. There has to be a, a very clear praxis. But um, but I love the fact that we get to talk about these issues, some of which I think are are uh, woefully under discussed in youth ministry land. And, uh, and, and so to me, that's one of the real treats about, it. and then to be able to discuss them in the context of, you know, experienced youth workers, we've all done common reading and thought and study on the thing. And then to have you there as a resource, have Adonis there as a resource, uh, to me, it's just fascinating, really fascinating, uh, conversation with friends that we get to do for two weeks over the course of three years. And then they um, finish their their work and get their doctorate it's pretty yeah. great yeah it is it, it is a boatload of fun I mean I I never thought when I was a teenager that learning could be fun um, as a teenager I just didn't like learning period yeah but it, it is awesome it is just an awesome time you so here's what I want to talk about um, because we got a lot of parents and and a lot of youth workers listening to this and so you spend a lot of time with teenagers still and and I like that. You know, when we talk about that, one of the things you've said is that God just continues to grant you favor with teenagers. And so when you communicate to them, it's two-way, uh, but you're especially effective not just at listening to them but at communicating truth to them. And one of the things you've been working on recently is the issue of wisdom. And it, it, talk a little bit about that, how that journey started with you know getting to talk about wisdom and and then we'll and then we'll unpack that a little bit you know okay. how we can start to talk about wisdom with kids right well in fact uh, it's been um it's been many many years in fact that i that i years ago that i that i first started uh uh kind of trying to put together ways of helping kids make what i call straight choices in a crooked world and uh and i've uh, on many occasions in many places, uh, talked about sort of why, talk to kids about why kids make bad choices and then how to help them sort of think through how to make good choices um, and perhaps even godly choices. Um, and actually that, uh, uh, that initial topic uh, or that question was bred not only by being around teenagers, but by a presentation I heard um, you know, maybe 20, 25 years ago by a really dear mutual friend of ours, Rich Van Pelt, mm. who, uh, who does a lot of work with kids in crisis and works with Compassion International um, and uh, and a great ministry for child development that we both support. And he, he's like anyway, embodied wisdom, by the way. He is. He Rich is embodied wisdom. That's right. And uh, and so that, that seminar that Rich did sort of got me thinking about it. And uh and 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 then in literally the last uh, few months, 
Uh, I've been developing material along with another of our mutual friends, Marv Penner, uh, who to develop uh, ways of helping youth workers nurture wisdom into the lives of their young people. And so what I did was, along with Marv, uh, we began to develop this material for youth specialties. Youth specialties, as you know, uh, every spring does a series of uh, two-day, well, one-and-a-half-day seminars around the country. Um, uh, if you should, as a listener, if you think you might be interested in hearing more about some of these ideas today even, um, I would suggest coming to one of our seminars this fall. Uh, they're, they're basically Friday night, all day Saturday. You can go to youthspecialties.com and, uh, and just look up the one-day seminars. They're called team training events. And we'll include, and, we'll include a link to that. Yeah, okay, great. We'll and you don't have to here. be a youth worker. Uh, you can be a parent. Uh, it, it's for youth workers, but parents would find much of it extremely interesting and helpful. Um, so anyway, writing material for that, I began to recast, rethink, um, and, and sort of reframe some of these ideas, and then added to it some work that was done by uh, a buddy of ours named Mark Matlock, uh, who is an associate with Youth Specialties, who has uh, done seminars for teenagers on wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And so kind of put all that stuff together uh, in the hopper. And uh, and that's how it was that, uh, that's how it's been, I guess, in the last three months that, uh, that, that a lot of this new thinking uh, and sort of reshaped uh, focus on wisdom has really got me interested in this idea uh, of how to nurture wisdom in a world that just seems to to foster unwise choices, and 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 I think it's I mean you don't have to look very hard at our culture to realize that this is critical. I I, I read uh, you, something you wrote on Facebook a couple of weeks ago about the, this book American Girls that came out, uh, uh, you know, not too long ago, and uh, and having read that book, I was just stunned by. Uh, not to say, did you did you read the book? Did you get to read yeah. it? It yeah, is. Yeah. It is. I just had a conversation with someone, you know, a half an hour ago here, and I said the same thing. You know, I study culture, and there's very little that surprises me. I would describe that book as stunning. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. I I, I want to make clear here that I don't think it was a great book, and I think it it was way, way, way longer than it needed to be. And I actually thought it was sort of uh, more. Uh, salacious than it probably needed to be, uh, but but I still thought that uh, y- you know th- there was something th- th- there were there was just an impression that I carried away from that that really was vivid. And then of course the book that was released yesterday, um, I think it's Janet Orenstein. I can't remember her full name, but uh, but that book um, about uh, girls and sex, teenage girls and sex. Um, uh, I've just heard some, I haven't read that book. I've just heard interviews because she's kind of been all over plugging the place, yeah. uh, plugging the thing, but they both basically tell the t- same story that there's a lot of, uh, you know, unwise thinking going on in a world that fosters and seems to uh, seduce us into unwise thinking. Yeah. So that, so it, it makes me feel as if, um, that, that we really are speaking to a need. Yeah, now you 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 said you said you know like for years you've been talking about this topic straight choices in a crooked world. Do you think the world? Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, you and I have been around 
for a few decades doing this. Do you think, in your opinion, that the world has gotten more crooked? You know, I think that, uh, well, it, I guess it depends on how one defines crookedness. I mean, it's, it's, we, we know, uh, that the, the, the seed of brokenness that was planted, um, in the book of Genesis yeah. is as deep and as profound as could be. So, so to that extent, no, it's no more crooked than it was, you know, in, in the book of Genesis, but, but I think some of the manifestations, or I should say some of the restrictions, some of the restrictors seem to have diminished. Uh, for example, in this most recent book that uh, Janet Orenstein wrote, and she'd been writing about girls, teenage girls, for probably two decades. And in this book, she suggests that uh, one of the, one of the, I guess, one of the suggestions she made to a group of college girls who were talking about um, about their intimacy, sexual intimacy, that, that they should sort of, in essence, uh, demand reciprocity, you know, that, that her, her sort of remedy for some of the hurt and rejection they were feeling is, you know, to, 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 that it should play both ways. And, uh, and, and, uh, and to me, that, that strikes me as uh, a very different way of approaching it than it might have been approached. 30 years ago yeah. where uh, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been, Hey, they're getting theirs. You need to get yours. It would have been somebody who's an approaching a relationship from the standpoint of trying to get is not, a, that's not a relationship you want to pursue. And in essence, what's happening here is we're telling teenage girls, you need to fight this fight for yourself. We're not going to help you. We're not going to give you any uh, boundaries and in trying to empower them, what we've actually done to use uh, Chap Clark's phrase is we've abandoned them. We basically said, you're on your own. You know, you're, you're, don't try to change the system. This is the way it works. You just need to go out and get your, you know, get as good as you give. And uh, and I think that is a difference. I mean, I, I was talking to my wife about this new book um, by Ornstein, and, and I was remarking uh, – you know, I don't know if you remember the book that Wendy Shallot wrote. Oh, yeah, on modesty, yeah. And, uh, and in that book, she she talked about the song that, uh, you know, you, you sometimes hear, you know, that uh, maybe it's cold outside. Yeah. And she kind of does a little exegesis of the lyrics of that song. And, and the whole presumption of that song is that the young woman is saying to the man, somebody's waiting up for me. Somebody's keeping account of me, my mom or my dad. They're going to wonder where I am, that there's a sense in which she had the freedom to say, I am under restriction. Yeah. And that those restrictions actually didn't, didn't, uh, that, that actually gave her the freedom to say no. Whereas Orenstein's suggestion seems to be that uh, we should take away that, you know, we should take away those kind of restrictions, but just tell girls, you just have to fight this battle on your yeah. own. That's abandonment. That's yeah. not empowerment. So the so the problem the problem's always been the same. It's it's sin. You know, it's our brokenness. Right. Uh, Genesis right. three six. It just in different times and different places expresses itself in different ways. And the way it's happening now, at least as long as as we've been drawing breath, it just seems so so much more complex and and confusing and difficult, and especially for kids. Let me ask you just a quick question here before um, we, we take a break. I want to sneak this one in. Maybe I'm not giving you enough time here, but 
one of the things you're talking about is you're identifying uh, at specific marks of adolescent foolishness. And we know kids because of where they're at in terms of brain development, more impulsive, you know, the frontal lobe, decision-making, impulse control. Brain's not fully formed yet till 24, 25 years old. I know that people, a lot of research is being done on that. But beyond that, you know, the, the kinds of things that make kids vulnerable to foolishness, and I just think about my own adolescent history. My own first early years in youth ministry, I mean, there were a lot of really foolish, stupid things I did. I just blame it on my lack of a frontal lobe now, but in today's world, I'd probably be in prison. You know, some of the risk management things that we, you know, crazy yes. stuff that put kids in danger. Absolutely. Do you remember, yeah. What was that thing we used to uh, just, I was just thinking about this the other day. Do you remember that thing a lot of youth groups had? It was kind of like a real heavy-duty canvas parachute, and um, yeah, you'd, you'd put them in that, and then you'd throw them in the air about, you know, you'd try to get them up in there about, what, 20 feet, <laughs> and then hope that you can get a bunch of adolescents to maneuver back under them and yeah. catch them before they— What was that called? I can't remember what that well, was called. we couldn't do that. We only had two kids in our group, <laughs> and, and, and so we could not. Uh, I was never—I never had a large youth group like you did, Walt. Oh, we couldn't come get on. the thing to come with so so yeah we would we would sometimes yeah we had six them. kids that was <laughs> yeah, yeah they were very strong <laughs> no for me it was playing it in my first my first church was in Wakefield Massachusetts and they had absolutely zero facility zero budget and, and so there was nothing in terms of activity but I always carried with me about ten frisbees just because I loved yeah yeah frisbees. and so I. We used to play this game that used to be called Indian Ball. Now it's called Bombardment, but where you'd you'd have you it's sort of like dodgeball on team dodgeball. You line up at two ends of the gym, so we'd line up at two ends of the fellowship hall, and put the frisbees in the middle and use the frisbees in the place with dodgeball. So that was painful, but what was more painful was in the in the basement of our church where the fellowship hall. They had these wrought iron poles, and so you know, you'd be trying to dodge a Frisbee so you didn't get hit in the face and you'd hit uh, one of those wrought iron poles. We had a rule that was called a clanger. And if you got a clanger, uh, you were allowed five seconds to recover before anybody could hit you. And so it's one of the ways we taught our kids Christian charity uh, and mercy. But, uh, but, but yeah, you could be sued for that kind of stuff now. Oh, yeah, I, you know, we were the same way. No, no budget, no, no. I had a car. A twenty-foot section of bull rope, and a big old truck inner tube, and we would just wait for the snow. And I think now that was just like the most stupid thing, yeah. especially that's when we like, did that on the turnpike. Yeah, that was trolling for a lawsuit. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. All right, so we got off track there, but and and I want to ask you this, but real quickly, what are some of the specific marks of adolescent foolishness? We talked uh, about youth worker foolishness. Yeah, yeah, that we know really well. Yeah. Um, well, uh, the first one is, and I don't know if we will talk about all this before the break, but the first one is superheroism. Uh, this is sort of the idea that I'm invincible. Uh, nothing, you know, I am bulletproof. Nothing can change. You know, you, you, there, there's a book that uh, you would know. It's for youth workers called Would You Rather? And the book is basically a book where you sort of give kids either or questions. You oh, know, those would dilemmas. You rather, yeah, and, and one of the questions in it is uh, – would you rather uh, fall into a pond full of blood-sucking leeches or be attacked by a herd of pit bulls? 
If you're a middle school male, I've had you're probably I've had go. both those things happen to me several times. <laughs> yes. If you're a middle school male, you're probably going to go, can we do both? Yeah. Because you don't realize that this is lethal. And uh, and I just read like maybe two weeks ago, 14 year old Washington teenager uh, was doing the the duct tape challenge that oh, yeah. uh, any parent can can watch on YouTube. And uh, and his buddies basically uh, wrapped him up in duct tape. And you can see this video on YouTube. He fell over and when he fell, he fell against uh, it was the outside of a school. He fell against the window where the concrete the bottom of the window kind of sticks out. So it, and he didn't have any way to control his fall. That's called the sill. That's called the sill. That's right. The outside part. (laughs) But uh, thank you, Walt. Uh, But anyway, you used the word salacious before and I had to grab a dictionary. (laughs) So I thought I'd help you out there. And, uh, but anyway, he goes, it busts his eye socket. I mean, he had to go to the hospital. Uh, And that's, that's what I mean by superhero. the idea that, consequences uh don't affect me and and again as you say you know a, a part of that is no doubt uh due to brain development but i mean triple a according to triple a distraction uh and and miscalculation of risk uh is a huge huge factor in teenage uh accidents uh it's one of the reasons uh teenagers are four times more likely to crash their cars than adults uh and, and then of course that is uh, exacerbated by alcohol, which was another big thing that she talked about in this book on teenage girls and sex, um, that uh, it, it actually becomes sort of the elixir that uh, that just makes superhism, superheroism seem even more possible, you know, because you're 10 feet tall um, and you think you can do anything. So that's one of the reasons that uh, teenagers make bad decisions. They just, uh, they, 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 are, they become foolish by thinking, you know, I can do, you know, I can do anything that these, these uh, consequences might impact other people, but they don't, they don't really impact me. So, so then uh, when we come back and we start to talk a little more specifically about wisdom, the biblical idea of wisdom and how to teach that it's, it's necessary, not just as an, as an educational practice that we need to, you know, train kids in this, but kids are, are pointed away from it just by virtue of the fact of where they're at developmentally and the types of things that are and are not going on in their, in their brains cognitively. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, well, part of what teaches wisdom, unfortunately, is experience. It, it shapes, you know, it, it shapes our, our capacity to gain wisdom is humility, and humility often comes through experience. And so yeah. the younger you are, the less experience you have. Uh, after a while, you realize, no, you're not invulnerable. I'm, you're not Superman, uh, that you can be hurt. Uh, it reminds me of you and me uh, a couple of summers ago when we were water skiing. <laughs> and uh, my wife said, Duffy, I don't think you ought to water ski. You were driving the boat. and saying, Which no, had absolutely nothing to do with this, by the way. I'm just going to throw fun. this in in case I get blamed. Go and ahead. being... And being young at heart and uh, and having a little superhero in me, I said, you know what? What could go wrong? And uh, within about a minute, uh, your boat driving uh, oh, had, had had the consequence of my femur uh, being ripped away from the muscles that held it to my leg. Yeah. And uh, and I learned through humility 
and to experience, hey, guess what? You are vulnerable. Yeah. Well, two things there. One is you, you got an extra week of vacation uh, to recover from the surgery you needed. And yeah. then uh, you just mentioned there kind of indirectly one of the other marks of adolescence foolishness, and that's casting blame. <laughs> that's right never yeah. be willing to accept the consequences of our own bad exactly choices. well listen we're gonna this is good we're gonna take a break we're gonna come back get really practical defining uh talking about what wisdom is i know i know you guys are talking about this in this team training and and you've worked this out and then some ways to uh you know to bring wisdom to life so we're talking to duffy robbins and we will be right back In an effort to help you help the kids you know and love navigate their emerging sexuality to the glory of God, we've launched a sexual integrity initiative here at CPYU. Thanks to a generous grant from a company called DAS, you can access our sexual integrity initiative and a growing number of resources for free by visiting the website at sexualintegrityinitiative.com. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking to Duffy Robbins about wisdom, what wisdom is, uh, why we need to talk to our kids about wisdom, how to instill wisdom in our kids, especially in a world that, uh, as he says, you know, teaching kids about straight choices in a crooked world. I love that. All right, so Duffy, before we commence talking about wisdom again, we, we do this little thing here. I don't know if I'd say it's fun. I want it to be fun. Well, so you never know, because as soon as I say it's fun, that's when it just is a total bust. It dies in a pile. You yeah. know how that—that's happened to you a couple times, huh? I mean, it happens Many. to all of us, yeah. Many. Yeah, so—but here's the thing. Just to get to know you just a little bit more, uh, okay. we do this thing called Take Five, where you have to take five rapid-fire questions from me. These questions have been carefully chosen just for you, Duffy, to let people get oh. to know you. So oh, uh, I didn't put—I didn't put these past anybody, but these are the best I could come up with on Spur of okay. the Moment. So All right. All right, so here you go, real quick. Number one, a food you can't resist eating. Chicken. Uh, just one. I, just one word. I mean, you have no descriptor about that or anything. A food. Well, okay, all right. I thought you. I would thought you would say something else. I'm very disappointed. You thought you were gonna say steak? No. Oh, chowder. That's it. <laughs> Clam chowder. Yeah. No. Oh, by the way, I don't have the. I don't have the answers for you except for that well, question. You yeah, I do. <laughs> It's. I think I'm supposed to guess what you think. No, that's. <laughs> I really. Actually, I. I. I, I wanted you me, to promote chowder. If people could see you, what? They would realize there's a lot of foods I can't resist. Well, okay. So here. All right. So here we go. Here's here's the second question. A food you can't resist resisting. A food I can't resist resisting. I am stunned that you even need to think about this. Oh, I'm not even sure. These I are foods it. you don't like, foods you don't go near, oh, foods oh, you don't. Oh, oh, okay. I thought that was a clever twist, but <laughs> yeah, it is. Clever. You used the word salacious earlier. You should know what I meant there. <laughs> okay, uh, a, a food I can't resist resisting: uh, pizza. That's it, and that is stunning to me. You're in youth ministry, yeah. and you don't like pizza. I don't like. That's pizza. unbelievable. All right, okay. I, I All right, here's another one: a regular routine that you and your dear wife Maggie have. Uh, every single week, often on Tuesday night, this week it happens to be tonight, we have what we call chicken a flick. We go to Chick-fil-A for dinner, 
and because I like to do something nice for her. And then <laughs> we go to a movie. And so this is without fail. There may be other nights where we go to dinner someplace, but we always do chicken a flick every week. That's why I asked that question. I just think that is awesome. And and I and I know you you are enslaved to that. You you I look forward you to love it. it. Yeah. Okay. Scariest thing you've ever attempted. It's the scariest thing you've ever attempted. Um I think it might have been speaking at a conference of insurance executives uh, in New York City in Manhattan, downtown Manhattan, uh, several years ago, because I knew that I was completely ill-suited for this speaking engagement. It, it, it was I wouldn't have been more uh, fearful uh, if I had been standing behind a podium without any clothes on realizing that just one step either way and the audience would find me out. I mean, it was, it was, um, I didn't, I didn't know what I was talking about. My whole thing was just try not to humiliate your family. Uh, and, and, uh, and I failed. Now, now I'm thinking about this and I'm trying to figure out how you got that invitation to me. It sounds like fields had to say no. No, and he Campolo called, said no. Oh, Campolo said no. Okay, yeah. all right. And yeah. how did it go when it was all over and you walked away from it? Did it go okay? Well, the guys that it was it was Liberty Mutual Life Insurance, as I recall, and um, the guys that invited me, I actually heard me preach at, I think he heard me preach at his church up in New Jersey. He was in the suburbs of Manhattan, uh, and uh, so that's partly how he. He took, you know, Tony Campolo's recommendation. But after that, we went to lunch, and he just kept saying how great it was, how fantastic it was, and we're going to have this guy a lot. <laughs> and uh, and I was never invited back. So I'm uh, assuming that uh, either they lost my phone number uh, and weren't able to reclaim it, or it didn't go as well as he thought it did. Like he he might have been trying to maybe whistle past the graveyard. Like, wasn't that spectacular? What that? Yeah. Because he was the guy responsible for inviting me, so he probably was just going, "That was that was golden. This guy is a unicorn. I mean, one of a kind. Uh, fantastic." Well, well, now that's true, but <laughs> that's actually not, true. Yeah, but not in a good sense, and <laughs> and and so that's why unicorns are are very rare and usually not speaking. At, uh, Liberty Mutual, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh man! All right, last question. Be- what's the Is best right answer? Uh, no, that was I good though. That was okay. good. I didn't have a right answer for that one. I set okay. you up on the others, but I, I mean, have... I didn't. You know, when we did the we did the ropes course last summer in Colorado. Remember, you were there, right? Oh yeah, I was. See, you don't yeah. remember because you were so scared. That's exactly right. You know what I said to Lisa that. about that when I because I they made me go first. Yeah. And uh, I had to do it because you yeah. guys were there. I had no choice but to say, yeah, I'll go. Because I don't like heights, and I wasn't really happy about having to do it. Yeah. But I yeah. did it. And it was. And we talked about this afterwards. We did it. Be, we, we both did what we peer did. Pressure. because Exactly, peer pressure. But I remember <laughs> Lisa came after me, and she gets out there to where I am, and we look back and see you coming. And I said to her, look at Duffy's face. Your whole, your, your whole countenance changed. Just it, raw it actually didn't look like you. 
And you know, I've only seen that one time before. You know when that was? Uh, water skiing. When I was water skiing. Yeah, yeah. And I remember because I, I remember saying to Lisa, had just been disconnected. Yeah, from yeah. The remainder of my what life. was yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. It yeah. just was. You just I could just see because you always have a smile on your face, and I could just see you, there was a level of intensity in you that was okay. Hey, yeah. last question. Um, best book you've read in the last year? Uh, well, the and I know there's a few, but just give me yeah. one that you'd recommend. You know, it doesn't have to be the best, but. Yeah, one that's uh, notable that you remember, and, and 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 maybe to make it easier, one you're reading it, and you're going, man, I got to get youth workers to read this. Well, I um, I'm still reading uh, Os Guinness's book on persuasion. That's pretty good. Or, or, now, what's that called? Book, what's that called? That's called um, Foolish or Fools or something like that. I can't yeah, remember. yeah. We'll, oh. we'll we'll come up with that. I yeah, I have. Uh, I well, have I can look it up real quick. Yeah. It's right here on my Kindle, but. Uh, Fool's Talk, Recovering yeah, Fool's the Artificial yeah. Persuasion. Yeah. Um, I liked that book a lot. Uh, um, I liked, uh, you know, I've been using um, the Jesus, uh, it sounds kind of funny, but I've been using the Storybook Bible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I read and that I every love night. That. I've been using that in my yeah. books, and I've really enjoyed that. Um, I'm reading a book by Ajit Fernando called The Call to Joy and Pain, and it's for people in ministry. And, uh, that has been very challenging, and I've enjoyed that. Uh, I'm trying to think of. Well, that's other... good. That's good. That's a good list. I'm. I'm actually a little surprised you didn't mention any books about Whitey Bulger. That <laughs> was it. Wasn't in the last year. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. That's a yeah. whole nother podcast. There, we'll come back that's, and we'll talk yes, about that because I watched. I watched Black Mass the other night, and uh, the way that we were watching it online, we only got an hour and twenty minutes into it, and the thing quit on us. <laughs> that's so, bad. Uh, don't tell me how it ends. Don't tell me how it no, ends. No, okay. Yeah. Titanic. It's, it's the same thing with Titanic. I, I have yeah. I, that hung up, and I have no clue how that ends. All right. <laughs> let's go back to talking. Let's move on from this foolishness. Let's talk about <laughs> wisdom. And uh, you were you were helping us understand some of the specific marks of adolescent foolishness, and you talked about that superhero syndrome, you know, and vulnerability. Yeah. Give us the other three you have real quick. Okay. Well, so superheroism, uh, you know, just the idea that I'm invincible. Second is super egoism, uh, that it's all about me. You sort of look at the whole world through the lens of, you know, my life. Uh, you know, the, the big picture kind of begins and ends with me. And so they make choices um, <clears throat> that are unwise and often regrettable because they just look at the world through the lens of how's this going to impact me and forget their other family members uh, there are other people to be reckoned with. And then third is super I knowism, which is uh, sort of I know it all. Adults are, you know, basically benign, but they're stupid. Um, they mean well, but they don't really know what it's like out here on the street where we teenagers <laughs> live. And uh, bless their heart, they're doing their best, but they just don't know uh, any better. Um, and then the third I mean, the fourth and final is uh, super soloism, which is sort of the idea that, uh, you know, I'm an island. I get to make my own choices. Uh, you know, my life is my business, which is ironic because probably one of the biggest desires of kids is to be connected, to know intimacy. Social media. Um, yeah. And yet at the same time, sort of have this notion that, uh, you know, I can do whatever I want to do. It's my business, my life, my choices. Uh, as if it has no impact on anybody else. And so, um, so I, I would say those are the four 
biggest that, that, and that's awesome i i wrote all these down these Darn are straight these are great awesome. i love the way uh, did yeah. you and marv come up with these i did you did okay i should have known marv had, yeah marv had nothing to do with it okay um actually uh yeah um mark matlock had sort of articulated the the the, the broad ideas but um but as I started playing around with images uh, to use in the uh, presentation, I began to think of Superman. And, and you're talking and, about literal photographs now. Yeah, photographs and, and things that can be photoshopped. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so, you know, superhero is Superman and, and then super I know was Yoda face in Superman. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to have you on the podcast for how to write a sermon then, too. You know, how to... <laughs> I how, wish to choose, had... how to choose a biblical text to match your images. Yeah. That would be... <laughs> right. How to come up with a text that matches the illustration. Yeah, that's right. Right. Don't. And for anyone who's listening to this thing, I want to listen in on that because that's brilliant. That's exactly <laughs> not where we'd send you. So <laughs> true. That's but 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 these things are good. Now, here's the thing. I look at these and I'm going, OK, that's a way being a teenager hasn't changed because this that's was right. this was all a part of my life. You know, when I was growing up, I, I and I'm going, yeah, yeah, I did that. I felt that. I thought that. I, I thought about my parents that way. But but now you embed this in the culture that we're in with all the choices. And like as Chap talks about systemic abandonment and you're, you're leaving kids to themselves to figure out life for themselves, maybe with a little bit of help from the peer group and the media. And That's it's, right. Or a lot of help from the peer group and the media. And it's um, it's frightening. So all that all that to say, this is why we need to teach about wisdom, and this is why this conversation is so timely. So, all right. So, what is wisdom? How do we, you know, take it from there? What do we? Let's turn the corner and go. How do we okay. overcome this? Short answer for yeah. wisdom is is wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. I mean, that's godly wisdom. Is seeing life like from that. God's perspective. Um. It's 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 probably too simple, but on the other hand, it really gets at it because there is clearly in Scripture a difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, and uh, and and so we have to make sure that we understand that wisdom is not just uh, something that we learn through experience. It certainly comes that way, but some of it comes only through revelation. That uh, that our experiences. Uh, can help us, but the problem is without revelation from God, we misinterpret those experiences and come up with the wrong, uh, you know, the wrong lessons, the wrong proverbs, the wrong ideas. That's good. So, so then, um, scripturally, when you're thinking about this, you know, revelation from God, seeing life from God's perspective, the scriptures now, you know, obviously well, this is the avenue we've got to take our kids into to teach them. That's scriptural right. truth, Proverbs, um, obviously, you know, a book of wisdom. Right. I mean, let me let me uh, add a little bit. I'll, I'll I'll just go a little bit further and say, uh, if on a at a at a more uh, parental level, um, you know, I would say that, uh, and and we talk about this a little bit uh, in the seminar, and and this is kind of where I started way back when I started thinking about straight choices in a crooked world, is that a good decision is, it a, good, is it a decision that, first of all, pays attention to the process of decision-making. In other words, uh, uh, it's totally appropriate to flip a coin to start a football game. 
that's, however, not a good way to choose a spouse. Uh, it, it's completely appropriate to do one potato, two potato, three potato, four, you know, if you're picking members of your, you know, pickup team. Not a very good way to pick a school, a college. So th there are processes that we use. And, uh, and so good decisions, even lead aside godly decisions for a minute, but just a, any good decision has to pay attention to the process. How did we arrive at this choice? Was it just hormones? Was it instinct? Was it spur of the moment, peer pressure? Secondly, uh, it, it gives careful consideration of the consequences of decision-making. I, I call this, when I'm speaking to teenagers, I call this thinking backwards. In other words, it's not thinking about where you want to go now. It's thinking about where you want to end up. Uh, and, uh, and, and so that's an important part of decision-making practically is helping young people think about, I, I, I'm not saying where you want to go now is bad. I'm saying, is that going to help you get to where you want to go? Now, from a godly wisdom standpoint, there's an added layer of that is, is this where God, you know, directs us? Is this where God wants you to go? Um, and that kind of either or choice is all over scripture. I mean, you think of Matthew 7, choosing the narrow gate, you know, versus the wide gate. Why? Because one ends you up in a place you don't want to be. And the other ends up in a place you do want to be. So, so it's, it's thinking backwards. And in the third element of a wise decision, it's when you assume responsibility for the outcome. In other words, I would say to, I might, I, 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 I think my dad demonstrated this. He allowed me to make decisions that were not, he knew they weren't great decisions. But as long as I was willing to own the decision, he knew long-term it could be a good decision because, because if I own the consequences, I could learn from it. I mean, right. as we talked about earlier, is that most of us learn how to make good decisions by making bad decisions. Yeah. And this is where I talk to parents sometimes when I'm doing parent seminars about allowing your child to be, allowing your family to be a laboratory for decision-making. And of course, as soon as you hear the word laboratory, you think, well, I don't want my kids experimenting, you know, but, but everything, you know, and, and of course there's some truth to that, but, but basically the idea behind a laboratory is it, it, it is an environment that has been created so that you can experiment without, uh, you know, profound consequences. In other words, you know, the environment of the, of the laboratory says, well, that's an experiment that we're not going to try or that's been done. But on the other hand, basically an experiment is where people fail their way to success. And so as a parent, uh, my job is not to make sure my child never has failure or never, you know, makes a mistake uh they they won't be able to they'll never be able to make progress we couldn't have made any progress if we said we're not going to do an experiment unless we know exactly how it's going to turn out yeah. but it is done in an environment a family where there are some rules and some procedures that limit uh the amount of con the, the the degree of consequence and uh, and help us to fail our way to success in a way that uh, is not, you know, not not lethal, and, and we can still recover. Yeah, and, you know, and as you're saying that, one of the biggest roadblocks to that happening in today's world is the the helicopter parenting that runs interference, that diminishes consequences, that uh, 
steps in and says to the teacher or to law enforcement or to whoever the you know the authority figure is yeah. you know my son my daughter would never do that or hey let's look past that this time or let me absorb the consequences i mean that's not even you know that's not even that, that's like grace run amok that yeah. just yeah. teaches kids all the wrong things and then you start to talk about extended adolescence or emerging adulthood, however you want to call that. And you're going, okay, that's one of the contributing factors there. And we think we're doing our kids a favor. And it's, it just, it just hurts. And it doesn't teach wisdom. It teaches foolishness, you know, seeing things from not, not life from God's perspective, but from, you know, a cultural perspective or a worldly perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I talk to parents about, um, sort of the, you know, to what extent uh, should I be engaged with decision-making and, and, and how much is too much? I liken it to, um, you know, um, if you've ever been rock climbing or something like that, you know how when you go rock climbing, there's usually, there are different ways you can configure the ropes, but typically the most basic way is to have a top rope where somebody's at the top and they're anchored into a rock or a tree or something. And then they throw the rope over the side and the person who's climbing has that rope wrapped around their midsection as they climb. And the person at the top is the person on belay, B-E-L-A-Y. And the idea is that as the climber makes their way up the cliff, the person on belay uh, takes up the slack in the rope. And there's, it's very important that they leave a little bit of slack in the rope because if there's no slack in the rope, that's not climbing, right? That's that's hoisting, and that's painful. Uh, on the other hand, uh, not having, you know, leaving all kinds of slack in the rope, just not paying attention, then when the person falls, they're going to fall a long way. And so the idea for a person on belay is to always keep a little bit of tension in the rope. Well, of course, some parents don't want to live with tension. And, and, and they think, you know, they think, oh, there's tension, you know, something's going to, and so what happens is one of two things. Some parents do what you said. They basically say the climb is too scary. The, the consequences of a fall are too, so I'm just going to keep this rope gripped and I'm not going to give them any slack whatsoever. And of course, the problem with that is that someday you're not going to be up there to hold the rope. And they have to learn to climb. They have to learn to make, you know, wise choices about where the footholds and what can be trusted. The, then there's the other parents who are the opposite of the helicopter parents who basically say, you know what? My child does not appreciate me being up here. And plus, I want to live my own life. I don't want to spend the time on the side of this mountain. And so they just say, to heck with it. Let them make their own choices. And when those kids fall, they fall hard. So you've got... On, on the one hand, the risk of a kid saying, there's so much tension in the rope, I'm just going to cut it. And I'm just not going to put up with this tight, tight grip. Or the parents going, I'm not going to put up with the tension. I'm just going to let the rope go and the kids fall hard. But either way, uh, we put our kids at risk. We have to be willing to build those that, that safe place, that laboratory that's a safe place to experiment. That's that's kind of guarded by uh, some processes and rules, and at the same time uh, allows them the freedom to 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 learn new moves and to try to and to try to pull themselves to a new perspective. And I mean, the idea is that you gain a new perspective as you climb. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I, here's what I want to do. I want to hear from you 
uh, quickly just some pointers to youth workers. Uh, how do we teach kids wisdom uh, as people in youth ministry? And by the way, let me let me throw this in because you, yeah, I was trying to think of this as you were talking about uh, seeing life from God's perspective in Revelation. Yeah. Um, we both love John Stott. And yes. just this morning, I read in his, uh, you know, through the Bible, through the year, there's a devotional. Yep. He yep. had this in there, and I, I, I said, make a note of that. Of course, I forgot it, but I, it came to me. We have to live our lives by revelation, not speculation, Yeah, which I yeah, thought, I right. mean, that's a great little, because that's what you're yeah. talking about here. You right. know, that's right. what that's what wisdom is. But, okay, yeah. so youth workers, you know, how do we teach our kids to live by revelation, God's perspective, not speculation or just listening to what the world says. Okay, I'll, I'll just focus on one okay. kind of one kind of category, I guess, or, or one broad strategy, and that is we need to equip our kids, and this is where your stuff is so helpful. But we need to help our kids look for the lie. Um, yeah. Uh, and and um, and what I mean by that is that. Uh, we have ever since the garden uh, made decisions, you know, on the basis of what we see and we're easily fooled in the garden, you know, somebody saw a tree, uh, and the fruit, uh, it, it was beautiful to the eye, you know, it looked good. And, uh, and over and over again, this has sort of been our downfall, uh, when lot chooses to sort of disengaged from the religious upbringing of his family, his uncle Abraham. Uh, it's because he looks out in uh, Genesis 13 and sees this land that's well watered everywhere, like the Garden of the Lord. It looks fantastic. Are you okay, Walt? Yeah. 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 I heard a little cough there. Um, but um, anyway, so it's that idea that that to really help our kids learn to discern. And and, and as I say, you're, you're – uh, I think your 3D tool uh, that uh, that youth workers can um, you probably you can give a link to that at their website, but I recommend that widely. But part of it is, is one of the strategies that I would encourage youth workers to do, and there are different ways of doing this. We talk about them at the youth specialist team training is to help their young people recognize that whether or not they ever read, for example, the book of Proverbs, they are every day being bombarded with Proverbs. Uh, you know, whether it's YOLO or or whether it's, you know, whoever dies with the most toys wins. Uh, it, it, sometimes, sometimes the proverbs are, uh, you know, some pretty harmless. Sometimes they're insidious. Sometimes they're, they're, uh, you know, quite deceptive. And, uh, and so that's, I think, is part of it, just helping kids learn how to recognize the fact that every day in their lives, uh, it, it's not a question of proverbs or no proverbs. It's a question of which proverbs. Right, which ones, yep. Yeah, and paying attention to the proverbs that they hear. Um, a second, uh, I guess, element of looking for the lie would be to recognize that um, that the life of foolishness or the real lie of foolishness is not what it says about the now, but what it says about the later. Um, and this is one of the reasons, one of the ways we have to address the idea of uh, thinking backwards, helping kids think in terms of consequences. The writer of Proverbs, uh, you know, says the evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For the lack of discipline, they will die led astray by their own great folly. It's it's reminding uh, kids that uh, your choices have an impact. I, I, when I'm 
when I'm talking to teenagers about this, I sometimes use um, the little booklets, the little kids booklets, the choose your own adventure uh, series where you make a choice on one page and it impacts every other page of your story. Um, and in the last, uh, I guess the last uh, sort of practical inter- you know, idea in terms of looking for the lie is to help them remember there is a bigger story. Mm. Uh, that um, the stories that they see uh, on Instagram, the stories that they see in Snapchat, the stories that they see on TV, they seem really, really big. Um, and they seem so compelling and so all important. Uh, but in fact, um, there's a much, much bigger story. It's this grand story of creation and fall and redemption and restoration. And, and it's only that story that helps put the other stories in its proper perspective. And so I think, you know, clear, intentional, repetitive teaching on that great story, uh, and then helping them when they, when they, uh, you know, listen to the small puny stories that come from their screen, they can practice saying, now, how does this align or how is this negated by the great story? You know, in, in my class this morning in adolescent culture, I, because uh, Albert Walters does this in Creation Regained, a book that we both like Love a lot. Love that book, Required yep. Reading. Awesome book. Uh, and um, anyway, he uses the song Woodstock, which I know is popular back in antiquity when you were a teenager. And uh, and that uh, but that song has these illusions. To we've got to get back to the garden and that we're caught in the devil's bargain. And I, and I played that song for my students this morning and said, do you see how they're, they're aware faintly from some sort of primal? It's written on their heart. They're faintly aware of this grand story. But they've sort of accepted a smaller story that we've got to get ourselves back to the garden, you know, that 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 uh, we're going to kind of pull this thing together and that Woodstock is just the beginning of this new wave of love, peace and music. And that was about two years before they broke up and had fistfights on stage and everything else, and, you know, but but that's that's. That seems like when you're when you're at Woodstock, that seems like a very compelling oh, story. Yeah. Wow, good answer. This is fantastic. Everything is groovy, but but uh, but in the contrast, in the in the background of the grand story, you realize no, they got some things right, but they got some things really wrong. And I think that's an important part of helping kids look for the lie. This is good. You know what I love about this stuff, Ian? I, I'm just going to – I'll, I'll – uh, I'll pat you on the back a little bit here. When I hear you talk about these things, just the way you frame this, you know, it's so hard. At, at moms and dads, youth workers sometimes have difficulty framing this. And I always joke with you about being the master of the metaphor, and I love your illustrations. And and really, what's so helpful about this is, this is where I'll pat you on the back, I, I think you are, you know, a master teacher. Your ability to communicate these things clearly so helpful and and I hope folks will will hear this I think just the way to understand kids what's going on in their lives their brains and then how to begin to to talk about wisdom is so helpful let because we're we're just about out of time let me ask you this we always end with this question um you know where should where should people go and we'll include links and things but where should people go if they want to learn more about wisdom or more about some of the ways that you've instructed people over the years to to help kids see life from God's perspective. So 
books, resources, you know, a couple of things, you know, what are some things you've written? And then off the top of your head, I know I'm putting you on the spot. Is there anything else that you would say, hey, this might be a good book that would help a youth worker or a parent to teach from? Um, what are your recommendations? Uh, well, of the books that I've written, I would say... Uh, Hot Talks. <laughs> Hot Talks in any old time number eight. Um, but uh, That always comes that, up, doesn't it? I know. That always, <laughs> that always just rears its head. I will say yeah. it just rears its head. Yeah. And yeah. in my... Uh, Opus Mundus, Donald Duck goes to church, but, but no, I, I think, uh, I think probably, um, ministry of nurture, you know, probably as much as anything, I, you know, I wrote, uh, I, I was a part of a project that was edited by Wayne Rice. It's a book published by university press. There's a teenager in my house mm-hmm. and, uh, me and, uh, Wayne and Mark DeVries and, and, and several other people, like there's six or five or six contributors basically answered questions from parents about parenting. And um, that one, I think, is a really practical book. I didn't write the whole thing, but I I, I like that book. I think it, it really scratches where parents itch in terms of practical wisdom. Um, you know, uh, I know that youth workers will have to tweak this book, but I would, and but you could probably buy it for a penny at Amazon is uh, me and Mike Iaconelli uh, invented this game years ago called the option play. And, and me and Iaconelli and Chap Clark wrote uh, a book called option plays. It's now out of print as are so many of my books. It's a way of making my books collector's items. Uh, and it's a, it's a sort of a, uh, I think a very clever marketing approach that my publisher has embraced. But anyway, that book, I know you could find used copies online. I've actually had youth workers write to me and say, "Is this thing still in print?" It's a, it's a, it's a very simple tool, and uh, it, it's based on case studies. And there's those case studies that would have to be tweaked. And of course, you could always rewrite. You know, just write your own. But, um, but that is a great strategy as a parent or a youth worker for helping kids to think backwards. Uh, concept we talked about in today's podcast. Um, uh, I, I suppose I, I think those and then, you know, any books about I, I shouldn't say any books, but some books about pop culture like uh, Steve Turner's book, Pop Culture, yep, Pop Culture. That's one of um, our favorites here. I think uh, the stories we tell by Mike Cooper, uh, th- these are books that kind of help uh, parents and youth workers help kids think about the grand story uh, in light of the stories that they hear uh, every day. And I, I found those books uh you know, really thoughtful, really helpful. I, I enjoy those a lot. Oh, this is good. This is good. All right. So what we're going to do is uh, with all these resources, we'll have links, um, any articles we've mentioned today, anything that's been mentioned today, you'll see on the podcast page links to this. We want to remind people that some of the links, if any of the books that are mentioned are here at CPYU, they'll take you to our uh, online resource center. And then Anything else, uh, we'll send send you over to Hearts and Minds, our good friend Byron Borger over there. And if you use the code CPYU, uh, he will give you 20% off on most books. He will let us know about that, and we'll be sure to, to uh, pass that information on to you. Duffy, this is great. One thing I want to say about Duffy, um, besides teaching at Eastern and at Gordon-Conwell, which I love doing together, uh, 
all your seminar work, you know, with YS and the other youth youth serving organizations. Um, Duffy does get out and speak, and uh, he's on associate staff with us. And if you want to learn more about about what he does and having him come speak to youth workers, speak to parents, speak to kids, um, you can log on to cpyu.org and and check out his page there. So, Duffy, thanks so much for doing this. This is great. And it's been I, fun, Walt. Thanks well, a lot. And, and let's do it again because this is to me this is super practical just for okay. me personally. What are you guys well, doing so. tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow. Yeah, what is tomorrow? What is well? I, I actually have to get ready to speak at a fundraising banquet tomorrow night. Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. did you carve out time for us? <laughs> no, I'm just okay. kidding. Well, I know you are. I said we'll get we'll get you back on. We're actually going water skiing. You want to come? <laughs> I'd love not to. Yeah, yeah. I figured you would. I can like resist that, so. resisting that. Yeah, I figured that's that's the way it is. All right. Well, thanks, Duffy, for doing this, and um, give our love give our love to Maggie. Enjoy Chicken Afflict tonight. Do we know I what will. movie you're going to? Are you allowed to mention it? Uh, I don't know what it is yet. I'm okay, really all right. Is it? Do you guys alternate like guy flicks and chick flicks, or what? How do you sort of, sort of vaguely? I mean, uh, when you go, every I know week, Maggie likes those guy flicks. Oh yeah, and she you does. like those. She does those yeah, chick her flicks. Her mind's her husband, but but I I think uh, I, you know it's when you go every week, uh, you can't be super super picky. Yeah. I mean. She, we might go see the Batman versus Superman thing. I don't think either of us are like psyched about it. Yeah, Nate saw it. He liked it. Did he? So, okay. Yeah, well, he it, it, he I mean, it. you don't get any more discerning than Nate. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'll go with that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. His his recommendation. You know, he's okay. he's gonna let you know. Hey, yep. thanks, Duff. And um, hey, for, for everybody who's listening, just stay stay tuned uh, and and look below, and you'll see uh, everything that we've linked to or we've talked about today. And we look forward to chatting you on the next episode of Youth Culture Matters. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.